to Colin Bradley Artcast with Colin Bradley and Stephen Bradley. Hello and welcome to Colin Bradley Artcast. I'm Stephen Bradley. And I'm Colin Bradley. How are you doing, Dad? All right, Steve. Thank you. Good. Yep. Good, good, good. I'm enjoying myself at the moment, as you know, and uh, I'm, I'm on my, I think on my, yes, my third, or is it my fourth? My third. My third um, um, picture for, with the shadow pictures, you know. Yeah. Ones Portraits. That you, ones that you're doing for people, yeah, for friends and yeah. family. That's yeah. right. Taking a little break from teaching. Yes, but I'm getting back to it. In a, probably by the time I finish this particular one, I shall go back to it. So Lovely. it's only a short break. Lovely. What's that break been like? Has it has it been has it been yes. nice to have a bit of a break? Yes, it has. It, it's been nice, but it's a bit like when you go on holiday. You know, you go away for a little while, and you you think it's really nice to get away from all the things that you used to do. Uh, but you can't wait at the end of the holiday to get back again and start work again. Well, that's always been the same with me, and it is now. I'm really, I'm enjoying what I'm doing, but uh, I'm also looking forward to getting back to teaching again mm. and, and do, doing some more video work. I do enjoy that. So it's, it's lovely. It, I've got my cake and eat it as well, haven't I? Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Lovely. Well, uh, it's still an absolute madhouse down here um mm-hmm. lack of sleep uh is starting to set in uh or, or broken sleep um it, it's yeah it's chaos here now they're all running around all these kittens uh they, they've explored every inch of the house at the moment um socks our other cat uh just wants to play with them but he's seven ten times the size of them so he, he just dominates them so we're having to keep an eye on him because he's He's rough and they're tiny and, yeah, he's just playing with them and jumping around with them and, uh, yeah, they're very small still. So it's um, we've got our hands full. I'm not going to lie to you. We've got our hands full. Yes. They're, they're looking absolutely gorgeous, though. Oh, they are. The, the pictures and the photographs and the videos you sent us, uh, really amusing. It, it, it is more amusing as well when you're here because they – um you look down and you don't you feel something on your leg and you look down and there's one like climbing on your foot and then you look down you're watching him and um they'll just climb they'll start climbing your leg so especially one of them will just climb your leg and you'll be walking around with a with a kitten on your leg just climbing just held on for dear life um yeah, they are. They're very sweet. They're very adorable. I did say that I would post another picture, which I will, on the Facebook group so people can see uh, how much they've changed from that first picture. It is mad. Um, but they're coming up five weeks. And, yeah, honestly, we just can't wait for them to get a little bit older so we're not having to uh, keep quite so much of a close eye on them. Mm-hmm. It's pretty full on. But never mind. It's what we signed up for. Um, but yeah, otherwise, yeah, all going very well, having a very busy week. Um, so in this podcast, we've got some questions and some emails, things that we want to cover. Haven't done that in a while. Um, so let's crack straight on, shall we? Um, we noticed uh, a post come on the Facebook group 
uh, from Ange about pastel map. And uh, Ange says, I would ha- thought I would have a go at one of the shadow tutorials and everything behaves differently so far. Different pencils, different paper, less dust, harder to blend with the finger and the little bit of background I've done eats the pastel. Totally different experience and not sure how I feel at the moment. This is the first time using pastel mat and at the moment I don't know whether to love love it or hate it. Um, mm-hmm. And I can imagine that is a bit of a shock to the system. Pastel mat is a very different yeah. um, surface. It was different for you when you first started using it. Very much so. In fact, when I first started using it, I, I was in that same uh, quandary. I thought, do I really like it? Do I really like the effects I'm getting? Because I understand completely where Andrew's coming from. But I've got to say that after a few pictures and getting used to them, uh, then it, it is a fantastic um, product. And uh, I, there, I don't think there's, I've got any downsides at all with it. And there's nothing that I dislike about it at all. Because once you get used to doing it and you, you're, you're rewarded by it, a much, much um, better presentation. I mean, you can work light over dark better than you can with, um, sorry, dark over light, better than you can with um, on grey and other papers. So it, it, that's an advantage. And uh, as you can, people have only got to look at the pictures that I've, I've done with pastel mat to see the benefits you get. And, of course, the shadow, shadow pictures, which uh, is one that she's actually doing, starting with, uh, Willie, I mean, you're, you're putting solid uh, two very dark colours on the background there. And yes, it does um, eat the pencils because it's a grittier paper. Therefore, it uh, uh, you're going to use more of it. But the effect is amazing. And she's, she's done a good picture. I think once she finishes that picture, keeps at it, then she'll be very pleased with it. Mm. Yeah, uh, it takes a little bit of time to get used to it, um, and people in the comments are starting to say that as well. That it's it's worth the effort. It takes a little bit of time, but um, yeah, yeah I, I can understand the uncertainty, especially when you're used to different papers and different surfaces. Um, mm. It is a bit of a shock to the system, um, and it's funny. Like I really wouldn't think that a sand paper would work, but it, it does, doesn't it? It's amazing, really interesting. Mm. Well, it. it- Yes, but and again, this one of the thoughts I had when I first started using it, I'd, I'd probably find my finger would be sore. But it isn't, because you learn very quickly to make sure you've got plenty of pastel on there before you actually use your finger. You know, you, 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 you can, I wouldn't say pancake it on, but you've got to make a couple of applications, and then you use your finger. And, uh, and then it's very smooth because it fills the pastel fills the paper up. Mm. That's another thing that uh, and and you get a better result too because of that reason because you're putting more pastel on it and uh, and then you're blending it with your finger you're getting a better actual depth a color which is much deeper than it would do on the other papers. And you can really tell the difference between your pastel mat work and your on-grey work. You can really see yes. that, that depth of colour that mm. you get with pastel mat. Yeah, it's very clear. Yes, I, think, I think you're right. I think probably what people could do, if, if, if they look at the animals on the website, on the, on, the, on the School of Art, and you look down, you probably can pick them out now. 
the ones of Pastomac, say, oh, that was done with Pastomac. That was done on Angre, um, you know? I think you could do that because it, it's pretty, it gets pretty obvious. But it's not for a beginner. And uh, we've said this before, really. But if you're going to start out, people starting out should actually st start out with Angre or similar because it's more forgiving. It erases better. Uh, so you've got, a, you've got more control. That's what you don't get with Pastomat. You, you have to be a little bit competent to be able to complete a picture with a minimum amount of um, adjustment. Mm. Yeah, really good point. Mm. Okay, cool. Um, right there. So moving on to another comment that came um, through YouTube and a bit of an old school one. This is talking about Aquarel graphite pencils. And mm. they've written here, is there a difference between these Aquarel graphite pencils and the grey pencils from the Albrecht Durer collection? And Albrecht Durer is a watercolour pencil collection That's right. that you used before, Dad, on one of the courses. Um, yep. Is there a big difference between the Aquarel graphite and those grey pencils? There is it's quite a big difference, in fact, because for one thing, the uh, aquarelle is a graphite, so it's graphite, gritty, uh, just like a, a lead pencil, or is a lead pencil, is graphite. And then you've got the uh, aquarelle pencil, which is certainly a completely different type of uh, material. So you have a, a colour, a much smoother colour. Um, both the same idea. You, with an aquarel pencil, you can a graphite pencil. You can, you could wash it and you know with water or use a brush uh, with on top of it, and it disperses. But you, although I like it very much, I wouldn't substitute that for a um, an aquarel pencil uh, picture because it's. It is what it is. You, you've got a, a, a limit. I think you're limited with it. Whereas when you've got um, the coloured pencils, you could have two or three different greys, for instance. Then you can add uh, colours into the greys and then mix those. So you're mixing it up. You can't do that with graphite because you're looking at one a black and white, basically, uh, idea. So you can't do that. So it, it, there is a big difference, yes. Mm. Excellent, yeah. Excellent. Okay, so moving on to um, another query that's come in, and it's a topic that we've talked about um, on a few podcasts over the years, and I really wanted to kind of flesh it out and talk about it on here so that we sort of consolidate all of that information that we've spoken about in previous podcasts into one big topic of discussion, which I know is a problem for a lot of people, and that is to achieve a bright white on the paper. It's the the, the brilliance and the vibrancy of a white um, pastel on the paper. And uh, a lot of people struggle with it. A lot of people um, find that it doesn't appear as bright as yours and all these kinds mm. of things. And we get asked it a fair amount. So I wanted to kind of cover mm. it in this episode um, because there is a lot of factors to this. It's not as easy as this is how you do it because it varies between papers um, and subjects and other colour influences. Um, you were saying to me, Dad, before we started recording, that that is the biggest kind of thing that happens with 
with achieving a, a bright white is the influence of other colors into that. Um, so let's start there. Mm. Well, first of all, um, people have got to understand when they look at me on the video putting a white on, the, the brilliance is perhaps a bit deceiving because what happens is the, pic, the, the television or the video picks up a brightness which perhaps is not quite as accurate as it could be. I can't do anything about that. It's just something that happens. Um, and it's not – so when, you know, for instance, I'm doing a, a sky um, and I put the white all over, that really looks white. If it goes on top of um, the ongre paper, for instance, it really looks white. But in actual fact, if you were to look at the original of that, it's not quite as intense as it looks on the screen. It because the television or the uh, the medium itself that I'm using enhances it. It comes more to life once you start putting colours in and you um, use surrounding colours. It tempers the brilliance a little bit, so people can probably witness that. But that so that's the first thing, and the other thing is you you've got when you put white on, there's a temptation to press very hard. And if you do that, there is a risk, of course, of um, to trying to attain the same whiteness that you see on the screen. Uh, there is a risk of, of crushing the paper. So it's better not to do that. Follow my lead when I say you, you put it on and then you, you, you blend it. And you could put it on it twice, even three times lightly, as opposed to one heavy-handed one. So you've got to be don't be tempted with heavy-handedness on it. So that's another thing. And the other thing is, of course, you can't put white over the top of darker colours. For instance, if you've got a blue sky, um, you've got to put the white on first and then you, you develop the sky around the cloud. You can't put the blue on and then put a, a white cloud on top of the blue. It won't work because your uh, pastel doesn't dry. So you just mix the white that you're going to put on into the blue and you had a bluey white and it's much duller that way and i've noticed that a lot there is still a way out of that and that is to erase if you've got a, if you want to reform your cloud for instance you just erase the areas of of um of blue that you've put in that you wanted to put cloud in white cloud in and then put the white cloud back in on top of the raw paper that you've uh, uncovered. That's another one. I mean, people have seen me do that many, many times. Okay, cool. So we've covered uh, skies there with uh, the white, and um, especially if you're putting white all over, then it's um, – it, and you're using a sand or a colour paper or a dark colour paper, that white is going to show up. Um, so on the ongre, Fabriano ongre, obviously you've said there, there's the tooth. And if you, um, just to sort of recap what you're saying, it is if by pressing lightly, you can get pastel on and push that into the paper, um, with a color shaper or something like that. That's not going to crush the tooth. It's not, you're not going to lose that tooth of the paper. And then, no. and then you can do another light application rather than just pressing hard. Cause we have had this on the previous podcast where people have, pressed a little bit too hard to try and get that brilliance and that i can completely it's a logical it's a logical move to do um but when you're using the fabriano that's slightly different um 
so with the Fabriano Ongre and your and the landscapes that sort of sort of covers that if you're doing um an animal say um and you want to achieve the the white bright white on that but there are other colors around it how do you mm. kind of still get that bright white amongst other colors like if it's a tiger or if it's a a cat black and white cat how would you achieve the bright white in contrast to another color beside it without that color sort of blending in well you start with the white obviously and you put the white in where you need the white and if you then put other colors around it and then find that oh dear i need that to be white rather than gray or uh, ochre or whatever the danger is you, you just put the white on top of the ochre or, or the gray that won't work because it's exactly the same as i was talking about with the sky you can't do that so all you do is erase that area that you want white to be put in and then put the white back in once you've uh, taken it off it, it, it's it's a lot of experience comes in i mean when you're using pastel pencil when you're familiar with pastel pencil uh, you overcome these immediately because you know what does work and what doesn't work and that won't work that's one thing you've got to make sure that if you've got a white area in an animal you put the white on first or the light color on first and then you can butt up to that um, by putting the other colors in if it's a tiger and you've got to say a, the, the worst thing you can do is a dark stripe on a, uh, a white area of a tiger or any other animal come to that and you have to put the two together it's simple to do really you, you put the white where you need the white to be perhaps over over do it slightly so that you'd have an overlap and then you put a gray on uh, ideally in play in preparation for the darker color you're going to put on top of it whether that's a, a very dark gray or black for instance but again you, you've got to be careful there because if you um, if you go too far with that and that overspills onto the white and you try to bring that back again, it, it's not going to work because you've got the same problem as I had before. You've got to be a bit careful there when you're doing that. Uh, but taking time and effort and trouble getting it right is always rewarding. But people are going to make mistakes, and if they make the mistakes, they'll learn by them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if people are using a darker paper, like a dark blue pastel mat, or let's talk about pastel mat in general. Um, mm. With pastel mat, you're not going to crush the paper um, as you would with Fabriano Ongre. So um, can you can you press harder to get a brighter white? Does that work on pastel um, mat? It, to, yes, to a certain extent it would do. Mm. But I, I, I wouldn't overdo that either. I mean, obviously, if you're putting, if you're using a dark grey paper, for instance, and you want to put white on top of it, uh, then you've got to expect the white not to be quite as bright as had you put it onto a, a light fawn or a light grey paper. So you've got to be careful there. But I've been very successful. One of the most successful pictures I did almost straight away, really, was the constable picture I did of, of um, the cornfield. And I was amazed when I did that. It was very much experimental because I hadn't been doing it very long. How well the white actually took on top of the dark grey pastel mat. 
that was absolutely fantastic um, picture that was, and uh, it was wonderful to do. But that's the quality of the paper, quality of the pencil we're using. So you've got uh, two things there that uh, make up the, the difference. And But you're never going to get it whiter than white. You can't do that. The white on the, in the, on the pencil is the white you're going to have on the paper. You're not going to get it. You're not going to get it brilliant white, but you don't don't necessarily need it to. Mm. Very rarely do you actually need that. One of the areas that uh, is sometimes a problem is when you're dealing with snow, and snow. If you look at white um, snow, you think it's white. It's not really white. It's slightly off-white. Very very rarely, in fact, never would you get snow that was actually white? So it's quite okay. And what you do, of course, to make sure the white looks whiter is you put colours against it. If you've got a, uh, a sky or a roof of a house and you want to put uh, a snow on the roof, that's fine. You put the white on the roof, but you make sure that against that you've got uh, a dark blue or grey or whatever colour you want to use. So you have a contrast. It's all about contrast. And the white looks whiter if you do that than it would do if you made it uh, the same tones. So, but I've never had a problem with any either on grey or uh, pastel matte or any other paper come to that. Um, so it's a, it's it's a. Uh, I think that's one thing that uh, people do probably have a little bit of a uh, a problem with when they're first starting out. But it's contrast all the time. You're contrasting the white snow or white fur um, or white clouds against a stronger tone adjacent to that. Yeah. So let's talk about um, tools, just, just to touch upon that, because there are tools that we've talked about in the past that can um, that can help uh, just with a little bit of brightness. It, as you said, it, it, you're never going to get it as white as the medium you're using, the pencil that you're using, the colour. Um, so Faber-Castell is obviously what you use as a, primarily for white, but you do sometimes um, have some other materials that you call upon if you need to mm. um, go over the top and just get it that little bit brighter or, or, or make it pop a little bit more. So let's mm. talk about those. Um the one that you talk about most often and use most often is a general white charcoal pencil. Um, yes. Why is that so good for adding in white highlights? Well, it's ideal. I, I only use it when I need it for um, enhancing a white and, and making it just that little bit brighter. It can, it can work really well. I wouldn't use it um, to lay on a white cloud, for instance. I wouldn't want to use it like that. Uh, but there's no reason why you can't, once you've finished your picture, is that you want a little bit of brightness, then you can use that because it will go, and it goes over the top of darker colours as well. So that's another thing that uh, you can use. But I'd be careful with, I know that I I love it and to bits and I find it really useful, but it's got its place. It doesn't replace a white. If you're going to do that, you probably would be better to use the uh, one of the stick pastels, white stick pastels. The pigmentation of those, the polychromos and other um, stick pastels, 
um, are just a little bit more pigmentation than the uh, the white pastel pencil. Mm. So you could enhance with that. But once again, I'd be very careful there. Don't replace it. People have said to me, well, I could do McLeod's in polychromos instead of the white um, the white pastel pencil. You could. Would I do it? No, I wouldn't. There's no need to do that. The white pastel pencil is quite capable of doing it. But if you wanted a little bit more brightness, yes, then you can you can use those. But these are these are tools in addition to, not in place of, in my opinion. Mm. So you're not saying for people to be reliant on these to achieve that effect, because as we've talked no. about in, in this episode, is that it's not just about putting white on the paper. There are other techniques, application mm. of that white, um, the other colours going against it that that bring bring out the white more. It's not just about being reliant on the material that you're using. That's right. And, Absolutely. And also you said before and to me in the past that polychromos uh, pastel is, is good for going on the top, but it's on top of others because you have a cushion um, for it. But the problem with um, doing a whole sky in polychromos uh, pastelic is that it, it, you often get a different kind of makeup and putting pastel pencil back on top of that Gets, Doesn't work it so gets well. a bit trickier. Yeah, you, you, you're getting into a bit of tricky territory. It's it's much easier to add those on at a later date as a highlight. It's the general... Sorry, you were going to say something? No, that's all right. Carry on. Yeah. I was going to say the general white charcoal. Why is that um, so successful as a, as a highlighting sort of pencil? Is it that it's different? Is it a different texture to pastel pencils? Yes, it, it is. And if you sharpen, once you sharpen the pastel pencil you get uh, the dust okay when you sharpen the charcoal you get flakes it's quite quite uncanny you don't get the same you can see it's 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 not but it feels as though it's more waxy that's that's a general feeling you get it's not because it's uh, it still works really well with on top of the pastel pencil you can put pastel pencil though back over the top of the uh, white charcoal as well that works but usually you wouldn't need to because there's, uh, there's not much point to, to doing that it's a finishing touch a highlighting tool really but i've used it i've used it in most most pictures to be honest um even the shadow pictures which i'm using occasionally i'll need it just to put that little bit of brilliance in, maybe a light of an eye or, or a little highlight somewhere or a sparkle of, on, a, on a jewel or a ring or that sort of thing. You can use it just that little bit. But you've got to know what you're doing when you do it. It's got to be the finishing touch, the end product, rather than, oh, well, I put this in and then I can put other things on top of it. It doesn't work. It can work, but it, it, it's not the way I would use it. Yeah, well, that makes sense. That makes sense. Excellent. I think we've covered that pretty extensively um, on achieving a bright white. If people have any questions about that or if um, they're still having a problem, then do get in touch with us. Um, we'll happily talk more about it. Um, but I hope that sort of gives you lots of different situations, uh, scenarios of, of where um, you can try and achieve that. Um, it's not an easy topic to cover because you know without actually having every single picture in front of front of us that we could look at um 
it's difficult to uh, troubleshoot and dissect what could be going wrong um, when people have this problem. But hopefully using the things that we've talked about here will enable you to sort of self troubleshoot um, what could be happening with your picture. And um, as a, as a, just a cap on that, I just want to say what you said, reiterate the experience and practice that, that lends itself to getting this right and to be patient and understand that you're, you're doing well. And that um, every time you're, trying this out you are learning and gaining experience and if you wanted to practice a section that you're struggling with then always this spare paper um tip that you have for people dad just pop it on spare paper first give it a practice run and uh, mm. see try some things out and then do it on your picture so that's right always a really good tip so lovely excellent thanks dad um that's all i've had for talking about this episode um We'll catch up with you next week and see if you're back to doing any uh, courses for people. Um, oh, well, I've I, I certainly got it in my mind to do it. it and and I've, I've got to tell people that I'm enjoying doing what I'm doing. Uh, the difference between doing what I'm doing now without um, chatting away and filming is I have a bit more focus. I think I mentioned that last week. You're, you're much more focused on it. I don't necessarily take any longer doing it, and uh, I still give myself an hour, a couple of hours at, at something. But I find that um, the focus is there, and I can, and I can also play around a little more. Now, what I mean by that is, when I'm videoing, and people are seeing me work, I, I kind of have a, a set way of doing something. You know, it. it and I build something up gradually, and then it, you end, end up with the end result. What I'm finding now is I'm doing something and then thinking, I'm going to return to that when I've done another, another area, so I go somewhere else, and then I move over there and somewhere else and return. And I can then return to one particular area, for instance, an eye, which I'm doing at the moment. I started off with it and just put the base colors on and then carried on around it and in other areas. And I've returned to that eye now probably about five times, and I will probably return to it again, knowing what I need to do, but I need to do, I need to see it fresher. And I don't do that when I'm filming. I, I work, and I can't really, because people want to see it finished. It can't afford to have me flying around all over the place it just wouldn't work so that's what i am finding and uh i think um, it, it's it's more refreshing to do that but what you get at the end of the day i hope people will see some of the work that i'm doing um is is just that little bit more special it has to be because i'm doing it basically for uh commissions for people uh, although I'm doing it from the family to start with, I'm, I'm practicing, if you like. Uh, I'm getting um, pictures under my belt so that I can um, explain to people who are interested in perhaps having me do something uh, ha just what can be achieved. And I'm finding that uh, every picture I've done has been ever so slightly better than the last one. Isn't that strange? Because I've picked up so much uh, 
tips to myself, if you like, or so much experience, and then I've, I've taken it on to the next picture. I mean, people are going to benefit from this because once they see me starting off again, I'm going to culminate all those things together, all those new experiences when I continue with the shadow pictures, which I intend doing, and they'll see very subtle changes. I don't remember Colin doing that before, you know, that sort of thing you'll, you'll say. I didn't realize he, he, he used this system or that system interesting isn't it you wait next time you do a shadow picture you'll film it and you'll be flying all over the place and they'll be like what's going on <laughs> <laughs> no i won't do that no no i can't do that because bear in mind that uh, what i'm what i'm doing when i'm showing people is i'm teaching people how to do it so i can't afford to be that blasé i've got to be um more disciplined and I appreciate that I have to be more disciplined for that. Uh, I imagine than, I, I imagine others, when they do pictures for other people, um, they have the same thing coming back to perhaps one of your courses. They feel like they've gone out on their own, learned some stuff, tackled some problems, come back to perhaps a bit more of a comfort zone, but they come back with that extra experience. Hmm. Oh, I'm sure they do. Every picture that you do, I'm convinced, and always have been, that you learn something else I, I wouldn't have even thought it possible when i first started out that i would still be after 30 years of plus of doing this still coming back again and finding new things different things sometimes it's very subtle you, you, you couldn't even i couldn't even describe it to you especially if you're blending uh, blending uh, colors in You've got to you 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 have to take your time with it. You have to put it in. You can't do it straight off. It's got to be done, and then you do it again, and then you do it again, and then you do it again, up to probably four or five times. You still go over that same area again, because what you're doing as you're doing it, you're seeing very subtle changes of tone. Bear in mind, I'm I'm talking about portrait work now, which is much much different to uh, animals and other things that you uh, might do. So. I find it, I find it fascinating. I really do. I get so involved, but at the same time, when I pull it off, it's quite amazing. And you, you can find that you, you've looked. I've looked at um, perhaps an outline of a nose, for instance, uh, which are very awkward things to do. And I've looked at it and thought that looks good. Then I come back to it and think, hmm. I think I'll make a small, small adjustment to it. And it's a fraction of a millimetre, maybe, that I'm changing. And when I look at it again, it looks much different. Much different. You wouldn't think that, would you? but you can. You can see a very, very minute difference between the two. But this is what we've said before many times. Millions and millions and millions of people. Uh, and everybody can almost certainly be recognized and that is in the subtlety of uh, facial features tiny little things you wouldn't to give them you wouldn't give them house room ordinarily but they are that's the difference it's the makeup of the eyes the nose the lips the shape of the face the ears all of the, all of these things the frown the um, creases in the, the face if it's an older person and um, it, there's so much 
to actually learn. Even even just looking at a simple eye, you can return to that, as I've said, four or five times, and you could still see something that you need to just adjust very, very slightly. And that makes the difference between someone saying, oh, that's so-and-so. Oh, look, that look, looks exactly like them. At the same time of doing all of that sometimes, though, Steve, and this is another thing that's really fascinating, you're also producing a work of art. You're not producing a photographic reference. So sometimes you have to make slight adjustments yourself because what you're looking at on a photographic reference doesn't quite work, doesn't quite make sense. That's where skill comes in. That's where experience comes in. Mm. Fascinating, really fascinating. Um, yeah, it's a whole new ball game doing portraits, and I think that is um, why I'm so impressed that this is what you're choosing to do as um, as sort of pictures for people, as presents and gifts and, and things like that for people. I think that's uh, it's so lovely because it's um, it's so personal, but it is so tricky, and I can completely understand why you would need to keep tinkering with things to get it right because it's a it's got to be a realistic interpretation mm. and and the other thing too is when you get to um do what i'm doing you're 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 not you're not um you don't have a lack of confidence do you know what i mean i'm looking at something and saying i know i can do it i know i can do it and i have done and so far the pictures that i've done have been very well received because they do look like the person um certainly my grandson was typical of this um i i, I had a picture of my grandson that uh, oscar uh, your nephew of course Stephen, and um he it was a picture that um um your sister loved of him so we decided to do that but when i really looked at it I couldn't see the eyes. There's no eyes there. You know? So what did I, what could I do? If you can't see an eye, how do you draw it? How do you create it? But I did, and it worked really well. But I had to keep returning to that time and time again because the eyes were in shadow. I've got to tell people they were in shadow. So there was no definition at all. So I had to produce something like that that made him recognisable even though you couldn't actually see the details. That's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. So you've got to find tiny little bits of information across that section that actually make his eyes looking, look as though he's looking where he's looking and both eyes are looking in the same direction, you know? Um, so it's fascinating. Perhaps we'll show. Perhaps we'll show um, a couple of these pictures for people to have a look at. <clears throat> but if you were to blow that up, when you see it from a distance, you know, or on on the wall, or, um, it looks great and um, it, it was very well received. But when you, if you were to blow that up, um, you'd be amazed at the intricacy of the different tones and shadows and marks that I've made. Mm. I mean, it's all necessary, isn't it? I, I think that's the, fant the, the fantastic thing about uh, portrait work. Is it, it's 
that uh, subtlety that you have to put in. Fantastic. Yeah, when maybe we'll share share some of those and just see the kind of uh, things that you're having to do with uh, these pictures. Mm, good idea. Mm, well, we do because I, I think people are interesting. I can't film them, because, so they're going to have to accept the fact that, you know, I'm not going to be able to show them how I did it. But once they see it, um, they can see that. Uh, and as I say, it, we, we've always got the, ca- the capacity to blow something up and have a look at it. I'm often fascinating uh, to do that, just to blow it up and see, my goodness, I can't see any any eye at all. There's no definite eye. All it's made up is little blotches and little pinpoints of light and so on. Mm. So this is why I, I, I think it's just a fascinating thing to do. But you ask why I'm doing portraits so hard. They are, but that's the reason I'm doing them, because I need that sort of challenge. Mm. Fantastic. Lovely. Excellent. Okay. Well, um, we'll check in next week and see how you're getting on with uh, these pictures, if you're still doing them or kind of check in with your progress and uh, see if you've gone mm-hmm. back to teaching. Um, but in the meantime, we hope that this episode has been helpful and interesting to you. Um, do check in with us next week. But for now, that's it for this week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm Stephen Bradley. And I'm Colin Bradley. Enjoy, Enjoy your week. week.